What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a podcast put on by the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold and Porter. I'm Evan Rothstein, your host, and today I'm extremely excited to welcome in someone who actually is in the media industry, Sarah Fisher of Axios. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Sarah, as many of you probably know, is a reporter, author, Twitter extraordinaire, and the curator of media trends for Axios, so she has her finger on the pulse of the industry, so I'm delighted to be asking her questions about things that our clients may be interested in, and the fact that she is the first non-lawyer guest of the podcast, which means she will be the best guest, so I'm hoping she talks more than I do. So Sarah, the first thing I want to ask you about is, I noticed that you always put scoop in front of some of your articles on media trends. What does that mean? Well, that means you broke it. And that is important because you want to make sure that you get attribution for your company. You know, when someone else further down the line reports on this story, you want to make sure they link back to your company's website. And that's important for visibility, but it's particularly important for a brand like mine because we're newer. And so that's what it means. And that's what it's for. And by the way, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you. So when you put SCOOP all caps in front of something, does that mean if someone else, either at Axios or another media company, wants to report on something that you said, they just have to say, per Sarah Fisher, Axios? Is like is that like a known thing in the industry? Um, it is. I never do all caps. I, I, I'm very, very particular about no exclamation points, no all caps. Like, I try to keep things very stilted. But um, yes, it is a signal to others in the industry to attribute back to the person who broke it if possible and plenty of times people don't but we want them to because it, again it helps drive visibility and traffic to our site you'll notice like bigger institutional brands don't always do that sometimes the reporters will do it but they the outlets themselves won't like the new york times won't and that's because their brand is so well known and so well attributed as is that they don't need to you know axios launched uh four years ago so we're still trying to build up recognition so I love Axios. I subscribe to the Denver version of it. Uh, and I now subscribe to Media Trends. So I get what you put out, which is incredible because you put out so much. Uh, I, how did you or Axios come up with the format? I love the short form format. I think it works really well, both in the desktop and mobile. How did, how did that get conceived and how has that worked out for you all? Yeah, when my founders left their old media company, Politico, in 20. 15, and I worked there as well, which is how I know them, they sort of did like a media tour and they met with every big name you could possibly think of, like the CEOs of major social media companies and major news companies. And they asked, like, what is the biggest trend that you're seeing? And what everyone said was that there's definitely an attention deficiency. People are being inundated with so much content that they're very confused as to what's legitimate and what's worth their time. And so we saw a white space, a problem to solve, which was, can we create content that is both efficient and worthy of their time and trustworthy? And so then we had to architect, well, what does that look like? And the number one thing we knew is that it had to be short. People were being inundated with a lot of text. And especially as we were shifting to mobile, 2015 was right around that time where we were hitting above 90% of saturation of mobile in the United States, smartphones. We, we recognize that people don't want to read 4,000 words on their little teeny 
phone screens, they can't, it's not a good experience. You can't even see the letters <laughs> when it's that much. So what we did was we designed what we think an article could and should look like for a mobile phone screen. And we physically designed it. I mean, we went and we looked, okay, how should a picture look on mobile? How big and how long should a headline be? How long should the text be? And how should we be using things like bolds or links to help guide people so that it's really easy to read something on your phone? So that's how we architected it. And I think the key thing to know is just because something is short does not mean it's shallow. That's why we got really picky around who we hired to cover certain topics, because if you know something really well, if you're a true subject matter expert, you can explain something very complicated with a few amount of words, but you have to really know what you're talking about to do it. And so that's sort of the strategy, you know, focus on brevity, hire smart experts to explain it and make sure that the design is really, really consumable for a mobile audience. So I think it's brilliant because I love it. It's why I read Axios, the, the why it matters, you know, bold point at the end. I always get to that right away because it helps me figure out why am I reading this? Why do I care? You're obviously the media expert because you know what you're talking about. How did you get to the point where you are? Like, how did you focus on media? Did you come out of college and say, I want to focus on media? Do I want to do journalism? How did you get to the point where you became the media person for Axios? I got lucky. <laughs> it's probably the best thing I could say. I mean, we, I knew the people who launched Axios from my time working with them at Politico. And at the time I was in advertising sales, I also dabbled a little bit with subscriptions and corporate research. So I've done business side work. And then I had bounced around doing sales at New York Times. I did some editorial at CNN. So I'd always been bouncing around between different functions within the media. I did events at the Washington Post. And when it came time for them to hire somebody to cover media, I think they wanted somebody who had really worked in all different aspects of media to be able to explain how it works. So sometimes you have media reporters, but they've never sold something in their life. They don't know how a, you know, a CPM works. They don't know and understand how market mapping works. And that was the problem that they aimed to solve, I think, in hiring me, which was I understood how that business side worked. And as the media industry faces dire financial crisis, having people that understand the financials and the business side was really important. So I think that's why they hired me. And I think, um, you know, doubling down on sort of the idea around expertise, one of the things I really like about working at Axios is that each person that they hire does have a really specific focus or expertise that allows them just to become even more entrenched in terms of sourcing, in terms of knowledge, you know, it's not like an Axios, you work for three years on the media beat and then you go to the retail beat or then you go to the White House beat. Like you work in one thing and that's the thing you do. And so it allows you to double down on your expertise as you continue. So when you get a scoop and you post it up and you start sitting down and you're going to put it up on the website, who puts it into that format that you talked about that I love that I think draws people to Axios? Do you put it in that format yourself? Do you have an editorial team? before it goes out, how does that work? So we have a custom content management system, which is a technology platform that we use to publish information. And I put it into that system. And then it doesn't change much more after that. I have editors who help me refine it. But the key thing to know about that content management system is that it really helps guide the person who is writing 
to create content that's really simple and easy to consume. For example, we have a headline word count. So I will never write a long headline because it physically won't let me. <laughs> we also have word counts within the story. So I know, you know, people, people start to drop off after like 500 words. So I, unless it's something that really warrants more than that, I'll know to drop off after around 100. Um, we have very specific specs for our images. We need them to look crisp and clear. We have an image library that's custom illustrations from our uh, visuals team, as well as charts. And we can request charts. I would have to provide the data uh, that can get inputted into the system that match our font and our format perfectly. So I do the inputs. The system helps make sure it's clean. And then once I hit publish, or right before I hit publish, we do have a really strong social team led by someone named Real, Neil Rothschild. And they'll help to go in and make sure that this article is really clean, that all of the social copy, the type of you know, headlines you see on Twitter or Google are also really sharp. And so it's a team effort, but it, it really is like the reporter has to kind of understand and know how to just put something in there that's crisp and short. So I, I need one of these programs to help with our associates and their legal briefs so they don't get off the rails. Well, we're going to sell that, that to them. We are working yeah. on something called Axios HQ, where we actually take that technology, we make it applicable to law firms or corporations or, you know, associations, and it helps them with their writing. It helps them, uh, you know, put out emails or whatever type of output they wish using our expertise. And we're seeing massive traction for that product right now, because as you said, I think the problem we're aiming to solve for our audiences is also a problem that companies are aiming to solve for their clients and internally. So that's, that's sort of a big thing we're thinking about at Axios, the use case for people that's not just us. Yeah. In my line of work, uh, you, you lose a judge after the first page if you're not concise and, and brief. And we could stand to use something to help guide us to keep our audience uh, trapped in and reading, or at least get to the point quicker. I, that's, I mean, that's what the Axios website does. It helps me get there and then I can move on quickly. And if I want to dig in deeper, you know, there's some links within the articles. I think it's, I think it's a great idea. When you get a scoop, do you have to source it from somewhere else? Do you spend all day researching it? How does it like work and come in? I'm not familiar with that. And I'm not sure many of our listeners are. It totally depends. Like there's a story I'm working on now that I've had, I've been sitting on like, you know, information about that for like a month. And it's just a matter of, I think I need more to make it really stand out. Then there's stuff where you get a, a leaked email or someone tells you something in passing and you're like, oh, if I don't move on that in the next day, someone else will. So you just move really quickly and you put out something short that's not super robust. So it really just depends. I'd say, you know, the, the important thing is to think about, am I providing enough information to the reader that it makes sense for them to consume this information right now? So if, I'll give you an example that has nothing to do with media. Let's say um, you, were, you live in an apartment building and you get word that they're going to turn the water off two weeks from now. If you put out a, a if you only know that they're eventually gonna turn the water off and you put out an advisory to your condo board and you said, hey, Scoop, they're gonna turn the water off. 
that doesn't really help the people living in the building because they don't know when, they don't know how, they don't know how it impacts them. So you wouldn't want to report that. But if you got a scoop that says, hey, I hear they're turning the water off next Thursday between two and four, then you're actually providing information that's useful to people. And so I think it just depends on, you can hold something or go with something depending on when you think you have it, A, sourced well enough and confirmed it's tight, but B, it actually provides useful information to your readers. All right, so I got one final question because I know we're short on time. Amazon gonna buy MGM, yes or no? I don't know. I, I mean, if they they want to bolster their you know film ambitions, sure. But Amazon's not interested in really competing in the media attention wars in the same way that everyone else is. Amazon wants to use media to help get people to subscribe to Amazon Prime. So it's not the same sort of desperation that you see other firms competing uh, that's driving them for getting more content. So I don't know, I mean, it's $9 billion. It's like literally pocket change for Amazon. But the problem with something like that for Amazon is like culturally, do they wanna buy a whole big company when they can just kind of build something themselves or buy out the talent? You know, typically that's how tech firms work. They don't wanna buy media companies. I believe that they're looking into it. That does not shock me, but will they at the end of the day come out with an offer? I have no idea. All right, before we leave you, Sarah, I have a couple of questions. What are you watching on Netflix right now? Uh, nothing. I don't do, I watch like business TV. I don't watch, I mean, I watch a little bit of every series so I can speak about them professionally, but I don't typically like to sit in front of my TV and binge content. Yeah, come on, nothing? No, I hate it. Like I would, I, I don't like to sit in front of my TV and binge content. I, I watch a little bit of everything so that I can write professionally about what's happening across all the services, but I very rarely spend time sitting in front of a television. How about Peloton? I don't have a Peloton, but I definitely am a big believer in exercising every day. I love my Peloton. I, I talk about it basically every single podcast because it's kept me, it get me through the pandemic. So what got you through a pandemic if you didn't binge lock like the rest of America? I mean, I covered all these deals for America. <laughs> That's I think mostly what I did. And um, it was definitely a crazy time in terms of the election last year it was a lot to cover and there's a lot going on. So that was the other big thing that kept me busy. Yeah, I purposely stayed away from some of your stuff on the deep fakes and the Facebook decision because we've that's been beat to death. Uh, and I'm hoping we're turning the page and talking about new stuff, which is why I focus on the news of this week. Uh, so what are you going to do first trip post pandemic? I assume you're vaccinated and those around you are vaccinated. Where are you going? Uh, well, I haven't fully figured that out yet, but I definitely want to travel. Is there anywhere you're going? I'm going to Hawaii in two weeks. Can't wait. May not come back. Oh, my God. I'm jealous. All right. Well, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in, Sarah. So much appreciate your time and your thoughtful comments and insight in the media industry. It's great to get to know you a little bit. Take care. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me on.